Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Now on Food FM, you're listening to Bread and Butter with Caroline Kenyon. Caroline and her guests make sense of the world through food, from politics to farming, making and cooking. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Hello, this is Caroline Kenyon here and I'm absolutely delighted to welcome you to the first Bread and Butter of 2022. We have a treat ahead because we are going to be talking about something very unusual very intriguing, very exciting in terms of how business and investment can influence the shape of things to come in terms of health and nutrition. Sophie Lawrence, I'm delighted to welcome you to uh, the first show of the year. Sophie is the lead Rathbone Green Bank on health and nutrition. Welcome, Sophie. Thanks so much, Caroline. And it's, it's great to be yeah, talking to you today about this. Looking forward to our conversation. Wonderful. Well, tell me a little bit about yourself, first of all, Sophie. I know you have a background as a a geographer, an environmentalist. So you're leading this work on health and nutrition, which, of course, is so bound up with, you know, our understanding of what it is to be alive um, in the world in 2022 when we have a decade to to change things dramatically. So tell me a little about you and your, your personal journey and how you come to be involved in this very exciting project of influencing government strategy. Definitely. So, yeah, what a big, big question to start with. So maybe I'll just briefly start by by talking about kind of Rathbone Green Bank and who we are and then sort of what my personal journey t- to this has been. So Rathbone Green Bank Investments is an investment management business um, which has been focused really on ethical, sustainable and impact investment for the last 20 years since since our creation. Um, and our clients are kind of individuals, charities um, and advisors. Um, And really, they trust us to invest their money in line with their values. And as you've mentioned, there are some really big sustainability challenges that we face, Um, you know, health and uh, health and well-being kind of being one area, but also, you know, big environmental challenges. Um, And really, we we look to kind of take all of those into account and think about how they're going to be playing out in the next, um, as you mentioned, kind of 10 years, but also beyond that. Um, and really thinking about what that means for, for companies and, and, and how are they going to be able to adapt and be resilient in, in the face of some of those changes. Um, so I work in the research team there. Um, as you mentioned, I've got a, a background in, in geography and environmental science um, and really kind of came to the world of investment throughout my career because really recognizing that, that, that actually capital can be a real force for good and we actually need to have investment um, that is enabling some of the the big changes that that we need to happen. Um, So essentially kind of, you know, 
if we're investing in those those companies that are, are really driving change and, and providing those solutions, um, that's that's really exciting to me, um, and that's really what 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 I try to do at, at GreenBank. Yeah, and I think from a very personal perspective as well, you know that that's that's kind of been the career journey. Um, but I think you know we're talking about you know health and, and and nutrition, and we're talking about food. You know this is this is Food FM, um, and and I think it's definitely been you know on, on a very kind of personal perspective such a big part of of my life, kind of growing up. So, you know, hosting dinners for friends, um, you know, being a really big part of family life, um, and, and food just really brings people together, doesn't it? And and you know, really lucky now. I, I work in Bristol and, and live in Bristol, and we've got you know such such a brilliant food scene here. Um, but at the same time, you know, also acutely aware that that really as a society, we we need you know better access to healthy and nutritious food, um, and and that access is is not equal at the moment, and that's really kind of driving a lot of um, you know the, the sort of passion I guess behind a lot of the work that we're we're doing at Green Bank as well. Sophie, what an amazing response to my as you say very wide question, and it's just lovely to hear the the passion in your voice, and I can see that it's been it's it has been and and and, and is a, a sort of personal journey and a mission for you. So tell me about how you evolved this idea of of uh, Green Bank leading this initiative to implement the National Food Strategy and and maybe just um, tell our listeners who perhaps don't know so much about the National Food Strategy um, what it is and how you came to be involved. Sure so yeah I think that's a really good good starting point you know it's something that that I wasn't necessarily familiar of, of going on until um, a year or so ago. Um, so the National Food Strategy uh, was commissioned um, in 2019 who um, then was uh, DEFRA was led by Michael Gove um, and it was the first independent review that we've had um, of the UK's food system in 75 years. So really huge project to to undertake um, by that team Um, and their starting point was really recognising that the food system is currently delivering poor health and environmental outcomes. Um, And so they really wanted to go about by setting kind of a series of recommendations that would uncover the sort of entire system and think about how we can improve that. So all the way from the farms of, uh, you know, producing our food right to, you know, the forks. So, you know, what what are we actually getting on on our tables and an average family, you know, receiving? And and I think one of the key takeaways really from the report, which was where we started to to, to really get quite interested, was around um, the, the, the need for a much more kind of robust reporting framework for companies um, so that we as investors can really understand what companies are doing on on, on these issues that really imp- impact the food sector. Um, so there was this recommendation very specifically around mandatory reporting. And, and when we say mandatory reporting, you know, there's, there's still kind of debate for us to have about what we want them to report. Um, but really just to use some examples, you know, one core part of that is that we want all food sector companies to include uh, reporting on the sales of, of food that they have um, and drink high in fat, sugar and salt, which is what's kind of known as HFSS. Um, and I think why, you know, why that's so important, you know, I briefly kind of mentioned it, but the at the moment, what we what we have is that, that we have a real lack of kind of consistent data that's being reported by companies. Um, and if you think about that from an investor perspective, this creates a real problem because we're unable to really compare performance across the different companies and really understand which companies are playing kind of a leading role in improving health and which which ones are kind of laggards. Um, you know, to use a really good food analogy, we're essentially comparing kind of apples and oranges when we when we look at this. 
Um, and what we really believe that mandatory reporting can do is create that level playing field for for companies um, and and really recognizing you know it's 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 difficult at the moment to be at the kind of you know the forefront of that and reporting all this data and and that might be quite exposing so you know really creating that level playing field with really well designed regulation um, which will help investors really allocate their capital to, to companies that are providing healthier options. So that's the kind of background, if you like. I think coming on to, you know, what, what we what we did, really what we saw the national food strategy as was this kind of window of opportunity where you know, traditionally investors had really not added their voice to this topic. Um, and, and there was now this window where, you know, the UK government has to, um, you know, take take some time to look at the, the recommendations and then respond with a formal white paper. Um, and that, that sort of creates this opportunity for us to say, you know, we really feel this is important as investors for, you know, for several different reasons. Um, and really start that investor policy dialogue, which, as I say, was was really kind of missing um, uh, for, for for this issue. You know, I think I, it's important to say that that does have there is a really strong dialogue for other issues. So just using a couple of examples, things like modern slavery and climate change, really well established dialogue. Um, but but there wasn't for for health and nutrition. Goodness, well, it's such a sort of um, a sort of vast and encompassing. Um project um, and ambition, isn't it? And I, I, I mean, it, it's making light bulbs go off in my head, you know, so many points of interest, because, you know, we do, we live in a world of sort of industrialised food. And I think, you know, bearing in mind that, you know, we're still in the midst of a global pandemic. And, you know, Britain passed this sort of tragic milestone, was it last week, of 150,000 people have died of COVID, and it's mm. the highest death rate in Europe, and you think you know that it part of that is attributed to the fact that we have very high levels of obesity here. So there are all of these things that sort of play into the thoughts that I'm I'm sort of having as you know mm. in, in the sort of context of what you're saying. But I'm also thinking about how I suppose in a way you're you're employing the sort of nudge, you know, behavioural economics to try and encourage business. Or are you seeing it as um, a bit more didactic than that to, to clean up their act? Is is this something that you think is one needs to sort of lead by encouragement? Or do you think that there needs to be legislation to force companies to stop taking the short term view of the you know, quick hit of money in the till as opposed to the long term view of the nation's health? Yeah, so I think you raised some really interesting kind of ideas there. And I think you know, something that we've, we, it's definitely something we've come up against as well. I think when we think about this, there's this real kind of inclination to think about it, you know, from a very personal perspective. So it's, you know, our responsibility to eat well, you know, if you're not eating well, then, you know, that's almost your fault. And actually, that's quite dangerous, I think, for us to get into that kind of thinking. Because actually, where we are today is that, you know, where we live is is massively, you know, influencing the access that we have to different types of food. So, you know, for example, you know, in certain certain parts of the country, you might be surrounded by a lot more kind of unhealthier options than healthy options. And actually, the other thing that we know is that healthier options are more expensive. 
Um, so actually, there there is a, an element of that, you know, which is, um, you know, we can kind of do through through nudging, and we can do it through education. But actually, what we really strongly feel is we're gonna, if we're gonna have real, um, you know, system change here, we also do need some really well designed regulation, which is going to, um, you know, as I say, from an investor perspective, you know, really show the kind of leaders from the laggards, um, and then investors can decide, you know, where where they want to allocate their capital. But given some of the risks that we're facing and and you know i think things like obesity you know we we can't just see those as kind of direct risks but that there's a huge systemic risk that that poses to the whole economy um and so you know you know if you think about it in that sense you know investors will really want to take that risk into account and they will want to you know allocate to to companies that are that are thinking about that in their business model um so so i think you know there's there's um that there is a place for both types of of intervention and and definitely even within our own engagement we are we are kind of working on both of those kind of planes um but i do think you know we we do need well-designed, um, you know, sort of very uh, firm kind of regulation to, to sort of create a level playing field and, and raise those minimum standards. Because I think we've got too far, uh, you know, to, to, to sort of having, you know, this proliferation of, of really unhealthy options that are available. And as I said, you know, before this kind of real inequality in, in, in access. Um, and, and so we do need to raise that kind of minimum bar to, to have an impact there, I think. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, the, the, the food desert uh, question, I do not think is addressed mm-hmm. nearly enough. I'm, I moved to Lincolnshire from London 25 years ago, and I, I was astonished that I could actually get better fresh produce in London than I could in Lincolnshire where most of it was grown. That has changed a bit now over 25 years, but um, it's certainly in in urban areas, you know, you can can walk miles to find a, a fresh lettuce. And it's very difficult for people. But also I think what's underestimated is the the emotional element. And I I am a great fan of George Orwell and he wrote um, before the Second World War that, you know, that when people have very little, actually, they want they want to have sweet stuff or things that are bad for them because it gives them a little lift. They don't want to have uh, a quinoa salad because it doesn't quite lift them briefly in the way that a cake or a chocolate biscuit will. So I think that's something that is that is, you know, there's so much moralizing about what people eat when they don't have very much and i i think that uh, that sort of emotional element is disregarded but um mm. sophie so just tell me having having become aware of the national food strategy and wanting to engage with it how did you then bring together all these other investors because i think when we chatted before you mentioned that it's now reaching a a sort of collective investment clout of about four trillion is that correct yeah, we actually are just shy of five trillion at the moment. Um, so yeah, I'll cut, maybe come back to sort of um, you know talk about that process. But I think just just putting that in perspective for everyone, um, you know, before I was you know working in the investment sector, you know, I would have probably thought, wow, like that is absolutely huge, and it, it definitely is. And just I, I guess just one way of putting it in perspective is to think that the you know the UK's GDP is about two point five, um, actually sorry, just under two. So we're actually talking about kind of two and a half times the 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 UK GDP now that that's sort of behind this so I think that's a really kind of powerful coalition and really I'll, I'll sort of briefly mention how it started but I guess you know now it is is going into this next phase where we're really trying to kind of build build extra momentum and and not only have um you know the sort of signatories to the letter but actually much more active kind of investor participation but just briefly kind of going back to, to the starting point so 
the national food strategy was was that, that sort of light bulb moment, if you like, for, for us. Um, and what we did initially was to organise an investor briefing with the national food strategy team um, ahead of its publication. Um, and you know that was a sort of an idea I had, and and I was thinking, you know, I don't know how how what the interest is going to be here. And I guess the first thing to say is I was really surprised by the level of investor interest in in attending that. Um, so that was a that was a really good chance to kind of hear ahead of time about what the recommendations were going to be. Um, and that's when we really heard the kind of mandatory reporting one, and thought that's that's a really great one that that investors can get behind. And you know, given the appetite really for that briefing, we then put together an investor letter. So, you know, we haven't necessarily talked about this yet, but I guess what is kind of important to to, to sort of uh, think about is this kind of how does this model of engagement generally work with investors? And essentially, you know, we're using the sort of shareholder influence that we have with with companies um, to to try and uh, and achieve sort of change, and there's different ways we can do that. And one of the the ways sort of tools, I guess, in in that kind of arsenal is to think about you know an investor a, a letter on a, on a particular topic where you can then get you know support from from multiple different investors. So that's what we did, and we kind of outlined our support for the mandatory reporting recommendation. Um, you know, we, we we outlined the kind of key risks that we see as investors that are facing the food sector companies um, and then thought about, you know, how how these can be addressed effectively with with well-designed regulation. Um, and that sort of has has continued to 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 grow in its kind of signatories. We sent the letter just before Christmas, um, and as I say, we've just got um, just shy of, of five trillion in assets under management supporting that now. Um, so some some really big investor names, sort of specialist kind of more specialist kind of sustainable and impact investors within that, like like Green Bank, but also um, you know our parent company Rathbones, uh, investors like UBS, Federated Hermes, Legal and General. Some some really kind of well well known names, um, and also and and this is actually really crucial to say as well. Um, also support from from the likes of Share Action um, and Food Foundation, um, and also Impact for Urban Health, which are a part of Guys and St Thomas's Foundation. Um, all of which who have been really kind of key in us being a lot more kind of strategic about how we can kind of take this this project forward. Um, and, and they're also partners that we've been working with for a long time on on engagement in this area. Um, so, you know, before I before I kind of kind of close this bit, I think, you know, looking forward, really what what the focus now is for us, you know, the um, the Department for um, Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, who are leading the white paper, have, have got the letter. So have the Department for Health and Social Care. Um, and what we're really kind of pushing for is is to have meetings um, with members of their team um, and and really kind of keep keep the dialogue going and, and put pressure on on that white paper, um, including mandatory reporting. Um, and as I mentioned, kind of the Food Foundation and Impact for Urban Health, the sort of three of our organisations are really, um, you know, working together very closely to to sort of work on this this second phase. Um, and we're continuing to to welcome um, new signatories as well. So. Um, hopefully, you know, we, we will be kind of too too big to ignore is, is the idea, um, you know, and hopefully this will lead to, to some, some, you know, productive dialogue, you know, with policymakers. I think it's absolutely fantastic, Sophie, and I salute you for everything that you have achieved so far, because I mean, what you've, you know, so much drive and energy and commitment has to go into pulling together a, a group as, as you have done. And, you know, that... <sighs> Uh, there are so many reports that have come out over the years on whatever aspect of, you know, national life it is. And, you know, there's a bit of a, a kind of a little explosion of 
media coverage and then it just sits on a shelf and nothing happens and i can tell from your 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 passion and your drive that you are completely determined to make sure that these these recommendations are implemented and i i think it's it's so exciting i i, I feel that you're excited too <laughs> Definitely. I think, you know, you, you've got to, you know, you've got to have that passion. You can't sort of, um, you can't really fake, fake that. So um, yeah, maybe sometimes I'm, I'm probably guilty of getting too kind of in, in deep with various things, but no, this, this has been a, a really fascinating one to work on. And I think, you know, what I haven't maybe mentioned as well is, is, you know, for, for a lot of investors, engagement is about kind of managing risk. And actually at Green Bank, we have, you know, we have 20 years experience now in doing this. And that's really important part of what we do with engagement. But so too, and, and this is kind of core in, in our strategy, and we're, we're really kind of clear about this, is the ability to kind of prime the market or catalyze change that would not have otherwise happened um, because the issues are just not kind of front of mind for in, for investors from a sort of maybe short more short-term kind of financial risk perspective um, and I think this is a really good example of that you know in the in the past there's been issues like modern slavery um, you know and biodiversity in the last couple of years that we've really led on but this is you know something that we really feel should be on investors and genders a lot more than it is at the moment um, so you know is, is is a really good example of, of of that kind of the priming the market piece in practice um, so yeah that's definitely what what we're trying to do and you know as you say you know it's it's definitely not going to stop here you know the power definitely comes with partnership you know we we always recognize that we're such a small kind of drop in the ocean really as uh, on our own but as soon as we've you know collaborated with the likes of the food foundation and impact for urban health with such deep expertise on on these issues there's a lot more that we can you know achieve together so you know i think next steps as i said the meetings um there's hopefully going to kind of be a a sort of culmination in some kind of good food bill it might not necessarily be called that um, and that will probably won't be for another couple of years um, but you know we can we can continue to kind of keep keep the the investor pressure on and I think the other piece of this is mandatory reporting is definitely the the first of those targets um, but you know we won't we won't be stopping there I think once that kind of investor policy dialogue is is you know, much more common on this topic. There are lots of other areas that, that we'd like to explore. Um, so people might be familiar with, with new government regulation that's coming in, uh, which is around the kind of how different organisations can promote high uh, fat, sugar and salt products. And that's going to be coming in next uh, year. Um, sorry, the end of this year. Um, and, you know, there's there's certain loopholes within that regulation that we're looking at that, that we'd like to have an influence on. Um, so, yeah, as you say, definitely not definitely not going to be stopping here. One thing I was going to ask you, because, of course, the national food strategy is, you know, it's about the whole national food system. And, mm. you know, something that has, you know, is, is the wonderful Marcus Rashford has highlighted uh, so poignantly and so powerfully is is food poverty, mm. um, which, as Jay Rayner says, is not food poverty, but poverty. And I wonder where that sits in your activities or ambitions yeah, so I think um, you know it's absolutely really important. I think one of the one of the pieces that that could potentially kind of come further down the line, you know, this issue around you know healthy food not necessarily being more expensive, and I think there's there's certain things that are really difficult to do there, but there's also certain things that that companies could do more of. So you know whether it's kind of promotions on healthy food instead of unhealthy food, um, and you know things like that. So you know as I said, you know 
those, you know, those are all issues that we're kind of directly looking at with companies, but there's no reason why we might kind of look to, to try and influence policy on, on, on issues like that further down the line. Um, I think, you know, the, the, the sort of real reason why we've targeted the kind of mandatory reporting now is, you know, there is this opportunity, it's in there, um, in the in the kind of national food strategy recommendations and this there's this really kind of clear model where we can where we can engage, but that's not to say that, you know, other issues aren't important and that's that's definitely one that um, you know, is is hugely important. And the work of Marcus uh, Rashford has been incredible and actually uh, sort of felt quite close to it actually at Greenback as well because our long-term kind of charity partner is Fair Share Southwest and I know they've done you know a huge amount of work um, and and had you know such a huge kind of strain on on you know during the pandemic had to kind of you know fivefold increase their um, their operations and, and scale it up so you know there's 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 such a multitude of issues that that you know we're facing here and um, you know, as you say, you know, the, the, the food system is, 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 is huge and um, there's so many different kind of facets to it. So, um, yeah, look yes, forward to well, kind of more work that we do. Well, certainly Rome was not built in a day. And, and, and as you say, the, sort of the, the food system is so vast and, and, and encompassing. And, um, you know, when you sort of think about the hospitality industry and people don't realise that three million people work within it, you know, it's uh, and that's just one aspect of you know food in our country so yeah and actually just you just saying that just made me think as well um i think share action are are sort of really leading the way in in this type of thinking of thinking not just about kind of health from um you know the products that companies are are selling but also trying to think about you know health from this this sort of the whole person you know the whole the whole kind of um concept so they've kind of got you know workers within that um, and the health of, of, of staff and, and then there's the products and the different parts of the system. So, you know, I think we're, we are definitely getting better at connecting often kind of siloed issues and trying to kind of connect them together, which I think is really, you know, real positive change. Um, and, you know, I do, I do, I sort of strongly feel that, you know, investors can be a part of that. Um, you know, we need, we need, we need to get better at, you know, connecting these different kind of interrelated issues that, that we're facing as a society and, and broader environment, they shouldn't be kind of tackled separately. No, absolutely. But I must say, uh, Sophie, just listening to you is, is a really joyful experience because I feel that you are, you're very ambitious, but you're very, very practical uh, in how you're trying to achieve your ambitions. And it, it makes me feel very confident about our future that we have young people like you who are working with such a sort of, yeah, just such a, an understanding of the world and, and a wish to make things better. That's very kind. And, and also nice to be still put in the young category because I definitely, <laughs> since turning 30 like, a year or so ago, I, I, I definitely sort of feel like, I don't know whether I can classify myself as that now. Um, but um, yeah, no, I think there is definitely a lot of, um, you know, I think it's really exciting. You know, I probably won't take the credit for this, but I do think this of even younger generations coming up are, are so, you know, it's so natural for them to be thinking in this kind of very system um, you know, for want of a word, I know we get kind of overuse that, but thinking about the whole system and the kind of interconnection between between everything. So, you know, thinking about the the links between you know climate and and sort of inequality and you know th those are just very natural. You know, I think now for for people. Um, so yeah, and I think you know definitely at Green Bank we sort of really a a attract people who you know do have that passion for you know something broader than just you know, make, making money. It's not about that for us. It's about, you know, how how can we, you know, think about investment 
for the future and what what does the kind of what kind of companies do do we need in that sort of changing world and and i think that's a really interesting it's it's definitely a challenge you know it's it's hard to be thinking like that um and and sort of slightly to be going against maybe some of the sort of status quo in, in sort of traditional ways of, of thinking about, um, you know, investment, but it definitely raises kind of challenges that are, yeah, just really interesting. And I think it makes it a kind of interesting area to work in, um, definitely. And um, the sort of old cliche of kind of no, no two days are the same because you're, you're trying to kind of, yeah, you tackle all these kind of quite complex issues. But um, yeah, it's definitely something that keeps me motivated. On that uh, lovely, optimistic note, Sophie, I just want to say thank you so much. I've so enjoyed talking to you. Thanks so much, Caroline. Me too. And yeah, look forward to, to speaking again soon. And maybe we can update on, on the, the sort of engagement in a year's time or something. That will be wonderful. Love to have you back on air and hear an update. You're listening to Bread and Butter with Caroline Kenyon. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.